This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell for the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Lauren Chater, welcome to Better Reading. Thank you for having me. Well, in these strange days, and we are recording this um, under the, uh, I don't know, the cloud of uh, coronavirus, so we are going digital and we are doing it uh, remotely, which is fantastic. I mean, it's good to learn new technology, isn't it? Yeah, it's great. And I can um, sit here with my cup of tea and (laughs) my dog and nobody can see what I'm wearing. (laughs) Oh, that's right. It has its benefits. Yeah. It does have its benefit uh, indeed. Okay, I'm going to introduce yeah. you. Um, so we're talking to the lovely, lovely Lauren Chader. Uh, Lauren is the author of the best-selling historical novels, the first one being The Lace Weaver, and the second one, which is the book we're talking about today, is Gulliver's Wife, as well as being the baking champion. She's written a book, <laughs> Well-Read Cookie, Beautiful Biscuits Inspired by Great Literature, which is a gorgeous pictorial um, book of cookies that are based on literary figures. In 2018, she was awarded a grant by the Neil and Sydney Literary Fund to travel to the Netherlands to research her third novel, The Winter Dress, inspired by a real-life 17th century gown found off the Dutch coast in 2014. In her spare time, she, as I said, she loves baking, she loves listening mm-hmm. to children tell their own stories, and she is a member of the mm-hmm. New South Wales uh, Writing Society and the Australian Society of Authors. Is that right? That's correct. Okay. So, firstly, I want to talk about you, um, and I want to talk about where your writing came from and how you came to write the, your first book, The Lace Weaver, and then we'll talk about mm-hmm. Gulliver's Wife. Um, so I came to writing like quite late in life, but, um, then I also at the same time think that I, I was always writing stories when I was little and I, I went to a creative writing class and I used to win the creative writing, um, awards at the assembly every fortnight. I knew that they were being diplomatic and they couldn't give it to me every week. Um, so I did love writing, but, uh, I ha- had a job and just was very busy. And so I didn't write for quite a few years. I was reading during that time. And then I had my son and I thought, oh, you know, it's just such a, having a child is just such a monumental, um, event in somebody's life, especially a, a woman's life, I think. And it really makes you, um, question, you know, your identity and what you want to do and whether what you're doing is making you happy. And um, so for me, it was quite a a cathartic experience. And I had some time off for the first time um, since I'd started my working life. I was on maternity leave. And so I just thought, oh, I'll just sit down and and write a book. I just didn't think it would, (laughs) I didn't didn't have any aspirations to get it published or um, do anything with it. But I thought, no, I finally feel like I, I should do this and I, I might have something to say. Um, and so I started writing and from there I um, 
quickly realized that I didn't know anything about writing. <laughs> had to go and um, do some courses, which I did at the New South Wales, at the Writing New South Wales, it's now called, um, with Kate Forsyth and a lot of other wonderful authors. And um, then uh, I was lucky enough to win uh, the Fiona McIntosh um, Masterclass Scholarship. And she, uh, Fiona invited me to um, take the class. And then I met um, Dan, who's the CEO of, of Simon and & Schuster, and uh, he put me in touch with Roberta Ivers, who was my publisher, my previous publisher, and she, I sent her a few chapters of The Lace Weaver and she loved it and I was thrilled. So they offered me a two-book a two contract or a three-book contract if you include the cookies. And uh, so this, uh, The Lace Weaver was the first novel that came out and then this is the second one from that. Tell us the story of The Lace Weaver. So The Lace Weaver is uh, about two young women, um, Kati and Lydia, and it's set in Estonia in 1941, just as Estonia is being drawn into World War II um, and the fight between the Russians and the Nazis. And it's um, the story of uh, Kati is a young woman who knits this beautiful Estonian lace and she and her family are sort of struggling. They've stayed behind when lots of other families have, have fled or been deported and um, she wants to hold on to this tradition of, of lace making as long as possible and she ends up being um, sort of drawn into this um, story with um, Lydia who is uh, living in Moscow and uh, looking for the the story of her mother's heritage and so she ends up in Estonia and that's where their, their lives intersect. When I first read it, I thought you were Estonian or of <laughs> heritage and then I realised that you weren't. Tell me where it came from, where the premise of the story came from. Um, so the, the premise of the story um, came from, uh, I was working at my local library a few years ago and I was putting the books away in the craft section and I found this uh, beautiful book of Estonian knitted lace and I thought, um, you know, I didn't really know anything about Estonia and so I opened it up and, and I was just captivated by this amazing story of sort of resilience of these these Baltic people who had endured so much um, during the war and then, you know, um, still were, were connected to Russia, were um, part of Russia until 1991 when they were finally sort of um, became a, a republic again and took their um, identity back. And so, uh, so that was where the story started for me and I ended up doing a lot of research into Estonia and meeting a lot of Estonians. I went to Estonia. Um, and spent a lot of time in the Estonian archives in Sydney and they were really helpful, um, those ladies, in helping me to sort of shape the story and hopefully get the, the little details right. Mm. I can't help thinking, um, so we're currently in this um, per, uh, coronavirus crisis and you're talking about what women were doing during wartime and yeah. a lot of people have been describing what we're facing right now is like a war. Um, yes. And I'm just wondering, how do you think that that will translate in terms of human behaviour? Yeah, it's, um, you know, it's just so interesting, isn't it? And it is. sort of de devastating. Um, I've been thinking a lot about it too. I've found it really hard to write in the last week or so because it feels like we're living history right now. And, you know, I, I heard Clementine Ford, um, the writer, say that um, it feels like we're in the flashback section of the book or the movie and it kind of does, you know. It just feels like what we're doing, I don't know, maybe we just took for granted 
the things that we enjoyed before. And I, I feel like maybe people during the war might have felt that way too. Um, things like going out and having a coffee with a friend or um, being able to buy something at the shops without worrying that it wasn't, wouldn't be there when you turned up. I mean, all those small human behaviours, um, yeah, it will be interesting to, to see the psychology that comes out of this whole whole disaster, actually. It will be. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm wondering, like, you know, I'm like you for the first, I, I think last week and the week before, I was so distracted by it and I was, you know, hooked onto social mm-hmm. media and just reading yeah. every article that I could. Yeah. This, year, this week I'm feeling a little calmer because I'm, you know, I, I've, I've probably come to terms with the fact that I'm going to be in some type of isolation for the next couple of yes. weeks. So I feel as though yes. well my day's better and I'm a lot calmer. And But going to the soup, like this, I talk about the supermarket, but when I wake up in the morning, you're probably the same. And I think having children, you've probably got this feeling, you know, more strongly than I have, if you like. But I wake up in the morning and I think, oh, um, yeah, it's Monday. I'm going to go for a swim. Then I'm going, and then I realize, oh, actually. And then it, you know, that (laughs) terrible kind of grief keeps you for that moment. Yeah. And I realize, no, this is not life as I know it anymore. Yeah. Yeah, this is not situation normal. This is yeah. something else, a sort of purgatory, limbo, transitional phase, whatever you want to call it. But, but also yeah, I feel like, yeah, I think you're right, story, it's weird. It is weird. And I think storytellers like yourself, it, it's going to impact your writing. I think one absolutely, thing, without a doubt, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm feeling that the impact just on my behaviours from day to day. Yeah, yeah. I mean, how can you write about the present now without putting this stuff in it and how it's going to change how we talk to each other and um, do business, you know, and um, interact with each other. It's, it's going to change everything I think. And so, and for writers, especially, you know, we're always trying to observe. um, We always trying to observe human behavior, but this is, uh, as they keep saying, unprecedented um, times. And so we're all just trying to get our head around how we're going to make, this makes sense for us um, in a in a in a format that we'll be able to <laughs> sort of connect to other people, connect with people. Mm. Well, I, I think it it is, and I think mm. you're making history at this very minute by having released a book. I know, but <laughs> yeah, purely little, <sighs> but. That could be a good thing. And I'm, you know, better reading, here at Better Reading, we're trying to wrap our head around that. And we're, we've got the advantage that we are digital. How can we support authors in a different way? Um, yeah. And I think, you know, sure, it's different. Sure, it's a little bit scary. Sure, it might be a bit disappointing. But it also could be a great opportunity for you, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. And, yeah. um, you know, it's actually nice to be able to, it's actually nice to be able to put something out there that's finished and it's done and this is, you know, that people, I know everybody's sort of reading, consuming, consuming this social media at the moment and this news, but I think things will settle in the next couple of weeks and I'm hoping that, yeah, that then people might start looking for um, books, lots more books to read and things like that as not even a distraction but just a reminder that there's something else and that life continues and, um, you know, there are things that aren't cha- won't change and, and books will still be there at the end of this. Books are well, still gonna, yeah. And also stories and storytelling. And like stories. Like to be able to yeah. travel. So, you know, curl up with yeah. a 
book. I mean, you know, we are really well placed um, to look after ourselves through story, and I'm I'm a great believer of that and a great advocate of that. So tell me about Gulliver's Wife, um, and tell me because it is you're launching it into the great unknown. Sure. Um, I feel like it's a really strange time to release a book, especially um, something like this, because it's it's about travel, um, but it's about it's about women's journeys. So maybe it's not such a bad thing. Um, so it's the story of uh, Mary Burton Gulliver, who was uh, Lemuel Gulliver's long-suffering spouse. Um, for those of you who who can't remember, um, but Gulliver's Travels was published in 1726, and it was written by Jonathan Swift, um, an English and Irish Englishman. And uh, it's sort of the story of this uh, man who goes off on all these adventures and meets all these fantastical creatures, and it's in four parts. And in between his adventures, he returns home. And then at the very end of the story, he, he's sort of become a, something of a misanthrope and he prefers the company to, of his horses to his wife. But uh, in my story, um, Mary Burton Gulliver is a real flesh and blood woman. She is um, a midwife and a herbalist. And basically her, her ordered world is turned upside down when he um, returns from sea. Everyone thinks that he's been lost at sea and he returns and he's speaking these sort of fevered riddles and saying that he's seen all these tiny people and he's lived on this island. And Mary has to navigate um, a safe path with her daughter Bess and, and while caring for her, um, her clients as well. So that's basically the story. And um, it's also a story about, about power, women's power and agency. And, and giving women a voice. And it's, yeah, it's about giving women a voice. Um, and a place in history. And a place in history. And, and because um, Gulliver's, you know, he, he's a man, of course, he's allowed to go to sea and he's sort of encouraged to go and have grand adventures, but he never really thinks about his wife. And who is to say that her her sort of problems and her story is not as important as his? Um, and so that was the, the sort of angle that I decided to take with the story. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Talk to me about the research process. Uh, So the research process was fairly intense, but I kind of like it. (laughs) I actually really love the research um, because that's where you find all the little um, interesting tidbits of history. And so I started off by reading everything I could about that particular time period, which is early 18th century London. And um, from there, I read all about the clothes and the sort of uh, the food and the customs. I tried to put a, a lot of folklore in the story because obviously people were 
really superstitious back then, even though it was right on the cusp of that time when they were about to tip into the science, the age of science um, and, and medical science particularly. But in that time period when women were giving birth, the, the infant mortality rate and the um, maternal mortality rate was still extremely high. So you wanted to do everything you could. You wanted to hedge your bets, you know, make sure that you, you survived the process. So you would sort of take any little, um, little superstitious charm or um, any kind of good luck uh, talisman that you could at that time. So I tried to put a lot of that information in there because I think it really adds to the story. And then I did travel to London a couple of times as well, which seems like now, you know, <laughs> a million years ago, um, looking back at those um, pictures from that time and just thinking what it must be like over there now. Um, but that was a, a really great experience as well. And I went to Execution Docks, which is in Wapping, which is near um, where Gulliver's um, wife is set. And that was where they hung the pirates and they've still got sort of the uh, the noose and the, not, not it's a, you know, a replica, but um, they've still got all the execution stands and everything there where they used to hang the pirates. So that was kind of cool too. Yeah, you know, I can imagine, and you know, I was just so engaged in the story, just listening to you right there. When you're researching, do you just go off on a million tangents? Do you just, <laughs> just like you follow one story and then the other, and then the, and you think, oh, hang on a second, I've got to go back to where I started. But then I guess every story is valuable, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. It's um, I, I really love the tan tangelic, tangential um sort of aspect of research. I do have to rein it in sometimes and think, hang on, you know, that's <laughs> that's just going a little bit too far. But that's the great thing about doing like lots of drafts. You know, with the second and the third draft, you can hone the research down so that you're not you're not researching everything that's and sort of having to discard reams and reams of research. Um, so, you know, if you know your characters and what their desires are and where they're going in the story, that gives you clues as to what you, you need to put in the story because you don't want it to be heavy either. You don't want to weigh the story down with lots of, un, uh, you know, uninteresting facts that have, have no relevance to your characters. So, yeah, that's how I try to balance that as well. It's remarkable. Mm. I mean, you know, for somebody, you know, your second book, congratulations. I mean, I think it's Thank you. received so well by the readers out there. And I think you've done a great job of communicating it digitally, digitally in these coronavirus days. So now the question for me to you is, um, and I'm sure our readers uh, and listeners are thinking the same thing, is it had you started a third project and how is it going to be influenced by your life now? Indeed. Um, so I have started my third project. I started it um, last year, really researching. Um, it's about a 17th century dress, which I think you mentioned, and it was found off the Dutch coast in 2014 by some amateur divers, and they brought it up. Um, they didn't know what it was. It was, on a sh it was in a shipwreck, and uh, they took it into the bathroom, hosed it down, because they didn't know. <laughs> And uh, sort of historians, historians shriek when I tell this story. Um, and then they, they realised what a treasure it was. And so it's one of the only surviving garments of that time period. So they think it was from about 16, 1640, between 1640 to 1670. So really the, the golden Dutch age as well, which just makes it, you know, incredibly um, valuable and incredibly interesting. It's now in a, um, in a, a, a sort of a vault, a basement in Holland. So I, I, I got to see it last year, which I'm really glad that I did. It was beautiful. And 
eerie and like a time traveller from another world, which it kind of is, you know, it's a time traveller from the past. And it's um, and personal, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's so personal, it's so intimate. It sat against someone's um, skin, you know, and so it's got all these connotations. So I'm writing a story about um, a dress historian who is from Holland and gets pulled back to um, the island where she was born to help uncover the story of the dress. And then um, running parallel to that is the story of the woman who wore the dress. And so that's set in 17th century Holland. So I'm finding it, um, yeah, I found it, as I said, really hard to write this last week just because I'm writing about the present and the present seems to be shifting and it seems like it's almost as foreign to me as the past now um, a couple of weeks ago. So, yeah, it will be interesting. It will be interesting (laughs) to see what happens as I go through the process of of writing it. Um, I think it's Thing yeah. and I think it's exciting and I think yeah it is exciting yeah it is. and I, I think you know it's early days now and I think you know we're all in shock and we're all yeah. really just trying to grapple and understand what our immediate future is going to look like exactly. but once we've got some certainty around that then sure. I think there's some great stories that are going to be had yeah yeah and the past is such a um you know it's so wonderful to escape into the past in a way because the past still informs our our present. I mean, you think about the plague books that people have suddenly there's this surge in plague literature. Everyone's reading Year of Wonders by Geraldine Brooks again. And, um, you know, so there's a, there's a certainly an interest um, in those kind of stories again. And people are trying to make sense of what's happening by reading about it, which is what people do. Lovely, lovely to chat with you. Yes, you too. Stay safe. Yes, you too. Uh, Stay safe. We all see each other at the other end. (laughs) Excellent. Sounds good. And read some good books. (laughs) Yes, we will. Thank you so much, Lauren Chater. All right. Thank you, Cheryl. If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda audiobooks are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere, or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBook Store. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of e-books and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere. Everywhere. It's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. 
quince.com slash style. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.